The Koi Gig Pod. I'm laughing because I was listening to a conversation that the City Girls were having and they were just going on about this throw-in. <laughs> I was like, yeah, that's our weapon in the World Cup. Subscribe to the feed in the OTB Sports app now. Wednesday Night Rugby on Off The Ball with Vodafone, main sponsor of the Irish rugby team. We all belong to the team of us. Now then, I have to say on Wednesday Night Rugby this evening, Fiona Hayes' Grand Slam winner is with us. Good evening. Good evening, Joe. You asked me back after my prediction was correct last week with the Irish win, I'd say, was it? Oh, did you predict an Irish win? There's a change. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Chris Jones, uh, Five Like with us as well. Hey, Chris, how you doing? Hey, how's it going, guys? Good to be here. Very well. In fairness, Fiona, it was a good prediction and I suspect you were pretty happy with what you saw from Ireland at the weekend. Yeah, delighted. You know, it's it's such a shame, you know, coaching at the minute a lot. I'm trying to show girls clips from the team and different things, but a lot of the clips that I'm getting online are of balls being kicked out of rocks or or all the things that maybe uh should have that went wrong according to the ref or the referee should have spotted. So it's a bit of a shame that we're kind of focusing on that this week, Joe. But I, I just thought the six all at half time and it was probably one of the best first halves of rugby I've seen in a long time and I rarely say that when the scoreline is six all but mm. it was just so physical so enjoyable I thought both teams were, were trying a lot of things and look a lot of people would have thought South Africa would have come out top but I felt Ireland throughout the game were confident in how they were playing and confident in what they did Okay, well, we're going to come to that in due course. We've talked a lot about it. So uh, we did want to have Chris on to talk about England a little bit as well because they're uh, in an interesting place, I think it's fair to say at the moment. Uh, Munster play South Africa tomorrow as well. Porky Cueve, we should mention, it is a 41,000 sellout. Teams have been named. Jack O'Donoghue will captain the Munster side. And then Tyke Furlong is going to captain Ireland for the first time uh, against Fiji, so his ankle injury is okay. He was uh, just talking about what an honour it is in the press conference this afternoon in that very humble way that is Tyke Furlong's want. And he was saying as well that when Andy Farrell asked him to be captain, I said to Faz, no bother off the pitch. What do I do on it? Do we go to the corner or what? And he said, uh, Andy Farrell gave him a few bits of pieces of advice on on that front and he's going to trust his teammates around him. It's hard to think, uh, Fiona, I guess you'd have Sexton in that camp uh, for sure. Uh, maybe a couple of others to be fair I, I don't want to name names and then omit someone but certainly Furlong would be in that bracket of like most popular sports people in the country for sure Oh definitely what a class act I think um, I think uh, Ashley O'Reilly asked him a, Ashley O'Reilly asked him a great question today about you know what does he dream of um, if it's not Captain Ireland and I think he said when he was younger he used to dream of spuds and gravy <laughs> and I just thought he's such a likeable character he's a, he's a typical prop he does he's talking on the pitch but I'd, I'd imagine he's huge in the dressing room as well with the guys and great fun to be around but also when it comes to game time you can see he's fairly focused and he's worked and I, you know people have questioned he's uh he's scrummaging like not maybe in the last couple of months or the last couple of years with that power game Leinster have been up against but he's constantly working at it and I think he was he was excellent in in the first half against South Africa the game time that he did get mm. we'll come back to Ireland Chris, we're pretty cocky over here right now, you know. Top of the heap. <laughs> Easy game. Uh, so, uh, not really, by the way. We are more than aware of what can happen 
uh, four years on from the last time we were world number one. England 29, Argentine 30, uh, one of the scorelines that caught the eye from the weekend just gone. And England's November schedule is really interesting. They have Japan coming up on Saturday, then they have New Zealand on the 19th, and then they have South Africa on the 26th. So that is going to be very tasty. Uh to give a sense, for instance, for people who didn't uh, catch the game, I was reading uh, Jared Maher in The Guardian. He said, Dim penalties conceded, little penetration in attack, a sluggishness that left Twickenham in a soggy stupor. All our criticisms aimed at Eddie Jones' side before, but England look no closer to fixing them with next year's World Cup looming into view. So it doesn't sound like they were particularly impressive at the weekend, Chris. No, they weren't. And I think there's a, a real sense of frustration around the, you know, England rugby fans at the moment. I think Gerard summed it up really well there. There were a couple of bright spots in the game, but fleeting, really. Um, I think England tried to play a, a quite a tight game and then maybe squeeze Argentina and then on the hour mark, try and put them away. But Argentina scored two quick tries in the second half, which really threw England. It meant England actually had to play with a bit of conviction and urgency. And we saw Jack Van Poorfleet scored a great try. We saw them play a little bit more when they were 24-16 down. But then, um, as mentioned there, dim penalties, a couple of really soft penalties gave Argentina a chance to, to, to um, kick themselves ahead. England actually got to a point ahead and then weren't able to capitalise. And Argentina saw the game out really well. And it does pile the pressure on England because, yes, Argentina, we know are a good side and... and I, I appreciate that people in Ireland might go, oh, there's no God-given right for England to beat Argentina. But nonetheless, England were 14-point favourites with the bookies. It is a surprise loss. Mm. Japan coming up is now must-win. And then New Zealand and South Africa, they've really got to win at least one of them to stop it being a, a very humbling autumn campaign. And all the talk from Eddie Jones is constantly about the World Cup next year. But I think England fans want to see some progress now and stop talking about winning something, which at the moment England are probably, what, fifth? sixth best bet to win the World Cup at the moment and that's not a great place to be. Uh, some of the things Eddie Jones uh, w was talking about in the aftermath of this defeat had been mentioned by Eddie Jones before. Like one of his key, uh, you could say reasons or you could say excuses, so I'll leave that up to you. But he talks about, and this is his uh, quote, preparation time has been the big issue. I don't control that so I don't worry about it. He said for the World Cup we'll get more prep time. And he was asked, and is that going to do the trick? He said, 100%. We're trying to play a different way, and that takes some learning. And Maratoje similarly, was making the point, we have 11 clubs now, everyone has uh, a different playing style. And I suppose they're arguing as well, Chris, the issue there is exacerbated by the absence of a bulk supplier that, you know, England had a distinctly Saracens hue for quite some time. Ireland have Leinster, France have Toulouse, England, all these different clubs, all these players coming together. They need more of a lead in time. And trust me, everybody, when we get that lead in time, we're going to blow your socks off at the World Cup. Mm. Yeah, I think I think it's a, a little bit concerning to hear the England players now have that in their heads, going, oh, it's, it's tough for us to be cohesive. How can we be cohesive with all these different clubs? I mean, Argentina play all around the world. I mean, they're they, talking about preparation time. I think a lot of the Argentinian premiership-based players were playing for their clubs last week last weekend England were tucked away in Jersey they didn't do a huge amount of training in Jersey a lot of team building that's their prerogative they chose to go out in the sea and do these activities instead of hammering drills on the training park Eddie Jones gets more access to his England players than any other coach England coach has had before him of course he's not got the luxury of that Leinster cohesion it's a different model he knew that when he took the job he wasn't going to suddenly get centrally contracted 
players overnight when he took the job. He knew that when he signed up. I, I'm just not really feeling that seven years into a regime. They, they didn't say that when they won the Grand Slam in 2016 or won the title in 2017. He wasn't saying that when they reached the World Cup final in 2019. I completely take his point that he will have a long period together with the team ahead of the World Cup. With no tour, he'll get players fit. And that's what he did in 2019. He got Vinopola, Mako and Billy. He got Tuolangi on the pitch. He started to get a style together. But he's talking about playing a different way. This time last year, England were talking about playing quite free-flowing rugby with Marcus Smith at 10, Joe March in the centre. Marchant's been binned off. Now they're talking about playing a power game. You know, last year, it was about a Slade and March in midfield. Slade was dropped from the squad. So, yes, I take the point that it's not easy for an England coach to get cohesion, but there's inconsistency in selection, there's inconsistency in strategy and game plan, which doesn't help matters either. So I'm not massively comfortable hearing England players talk about that because we've known that's the case with English rugby till the start, since the start of professionalism. Mm. Uh, Fiona, for instance, at the weekend, Billy Vinopola back in at eight, he had 15 carries, Kyle Sinclair, 12 carries. I saw Matt Dawson on the BBC website make the point, though, that those carries seem to be an end in themselves rather than being used to open up space elsewhere. So it seemed like, uh, well, maybe England are trying to be a power team, but there wasn't much beyond that. Yeah, and that's what it looked like, Joe. I mean, I, I watched the game and, and and then I look back afterwards at the stats because I was just curious. And, and like England had 427 metres carried compared to Argentina, 157. But if you look at the game as a whole and, you know, who lit it up, Argentina carried where necessary to get their back line into space. But it just looked like England were carrying into traffic, carrying into traffic. And they weren't making the dent that they normally would have probably made in the past. And I think Eddie Jones has reverted back to that power game but it doesn't seem to be working for them especially against that Argentinian team when you like they did 14 uh, turnovers as well which is is not great if, if you're if you're carrying in nice and tight they're obviously losing the ball so it, it was just a really kind of a strange game I thought um, I thought it was going to be a cracker attacking wise but there was a lot of kicks in it um, and you know look that's the, the nature of the game you have to win it but I, I, I was very disappointed in how England approached the game I thought Chris was spot on when he said um when they went down in the in the scoreline, I thought things changed and they tried to maybe go wide and the change at scrum half when Youngs went off really lifted that. But but I don't know, going into a World Cup, if I was an England uh, supporter, I'd be worried, really worried about where they're going and what style they want to, to go with going into this World Cup. So it's, it is funny to draw the parallels, Chris, between Ireland and England with four years ago. We're desperately hoping that things don't go the same way as 2019 <laughs> and England are desperately hoping that things do go the way of 2019. Yeah. And we remember that day in Dublin in uh, February of 19, opener of the Six Nations, and it almost seemed to set the paths for the two sides in motion. That is almost mm -hmm. the, the Eddie Jones ace up his sleeve. Look, we had a bad 18. Look what I did for you in 19. Trust me, trust me, trust me. Yeah, 100%. And that is... It, that, that is everything that, that England, the RFU, Eddie Jones is banking on. That once he gets them into camp, once he gets players fit, once he gets a long period with the team, he'll transform them. And you're right. In 2018, England was struggling. They'd gone to, they, they, they finished fifth in the Six Nations 2018, went to South Africa and lost. And this was against a scratch 
Springbok side that talking about no preparation time, they had about 10 minutes together before they played against England and Joburg and they came back to win. Also won in Bloemfontein, England, got a win in Cape Town, but they'd lost that series. Then limped into the autumn, lost a close one against uh, New Zealand, edged the box in a bit of controversy, controversy with the foul tackle at the end. And then they went to Dublin and everyone was expecting Ireland to just continue their momentum from 18 and England to get hammered in Dublin. And England were brilliant. It was one of the best performances of the Eddie Jones regime. But they had those players fit like Tuolangi and they had the Vinopolas and they played a great game in Dublin. That's the hope that England could do that. My concern is that is the playing personnel in the same place four years on? You mentioned the core or the bulk supplier, Joe. Yeah. England did have the Saracens core, which Eddie Jones proactively went away from in, a, in about a year ago. He proactively dropped Jamie George, dropped Mako, dropped Billy, dropped Elliot Daly. They've all come back now apart from Daly. But some of those guys are four years on. Does that make them four years better, four years more experienced? Maybe. Or was that age profile of England at the last World Cup absolutely perfect for them to win it? 27, 28, prime of their careers. Yeah. Are we going to get the same out of your Vinopolis, your Tuolangis, your Jamie George, your Courtney Laws, your Owen Farrells, your Ben Youngs, whoever it might be, the other side of 30? Fascinating one. And at the moment, England fans are on that kind of leap of faith, wing and a prayer. Eddie got it right four years ago so he can do it again. But I think that's absolutely no no guarantee that it can happen. Yes, because, I mean, so often centre has been an issue whenever Tuolagi's mm -hmm. been injured and trying to replace that power. But Because in advance of the weekend, I think we saw, well, Smith at 10. You've got Farrell and Tuolagi at centre. Well, this could be very interesting and uh, just didn't fire for whatever reason, Fiona? Yeah, definitely didn't fire, but it, it wasn't used enough either. You know, in these type of games, especially against Argentina, you've got to try and get them out wide. I mean, we know what physical, how physical their pack are, their front row, especially their second rows. So it, it was it was surprising that they didn't use these guys, use that crash ball even out in the midfield area to create more space out wide. It was it was just a strange game plan altogether. I saw and look, I, I I'm not saying that Eddie Jones said that. Maybe that's just the way the game went as as the discipline went downhill maybe they tried to tighten things up but uh, but I would imagine when I was looking at that starting team as well I thought we might see uh, England of old and especially you know getting metres in that midfield to, to have a really threatful back three that can attack out wide but it just didn't happen in this game The RFU seemed to be uh, fairly in throw to Eddie Jones Chris at every turn he's, he's not coming under any last minute pressure at this stage I would think um, I think if they'd lost that second test in Australia it would have been a an awkward decision to be made for, for, for Twickenham because the plan is Freddie Jones to go to 2023 yeah. and then the plan will be almost certainly, I would say, Steve Borthwick to take over. Um, but yeah, if they if they part with Eddie Jones now, it would be incredibly embarrassing for the RFU given the faith they've put in Jones after that Six Nations of 2021 when England flopped and the Six Nations early this year when England also flopped and they put a statement out which was, what, which was widely ridiculed saying lots of progress has been made. So look, make no mistake, the RFU are desperate for this Eddie Jones 2023 project to work. If they lose Japan this weekend, Jones's position is untenable, but I wouldn't dwell on that too much because that's unlikely they're going to lose to Japan. Um, I think if they did lose to Japan, then yeah, I, I, I wouldn't think that Eddie Jones can continue in the job. But again, that's unlikely. I think England will beat Japan and I think they could take the scalp of New Zealand or South Africa. But the frustration is just the lack of consistency and progress. Mm. Poor in the Six Nations, better in Australia, poor again against Argentina. And I know it was the first game back of the camp and everything, but same 
applied for Ireland. They managed to to get the job done, admittedly with a very cohesive group from Leinster that we all know about. But Eddie Jones has had England for a long, long time. He's had plenty of opportunities to keep a cohesive core, to keep um, playing with a similar strategy, regardless of injuries. No one's retired. No one's really retired on Eddie Jones's watch over the past few years. Guys like Hartley and Haskell and Robshaw, he kind of proactively moved away from before they kind of called it a day in their career. He's still got a huge number of the players from 2019 at his disposal. So, yes, there are problems in English rugby in terms of time together, but also steps he could have taken to ensure that kind of consistency. So I think England supporters are like, look, come on, let's not have this two steps forward, two steps back. In 2020, you said we were going to be the best team of all time. Where's that gone? At the moment, England are kind of limping into action when people hope that this would be the time they're really exploding. <laughs> the best team of all time. It's amazing you guys aren't more popular on the world stage. You know that? <laughs> yeah, this was this was Eddie Jones saying it. And, you know, and I don't speak on behalf of English people. And as a Welshman, I definitely don't. But this was this was an Eddie Jones. And look, I, I kind of knew what he was getting at because he was conscious of that dip after the high of a World Cup final. So we tried to kind of like, right, this is what we're going to do. We're going to go again with um, this high lofty aspiration. But it now just looks daft because yeah. I think England wrote 65% win record at best in that period. And this year they've lost six out of 10 if you include the Barbars. So yeah, I think England fans just want to concentrate on a couple, <laughs> stringing in a couple of wins together rather than thinking about matching the All Blacks of 2015 or the great Springbok sides or whatever it might be. And uh, you're around Jones and the England camp in your role with BB we see quite a lot, Chris. His general demeanour at the moment, is he acting like a man under big pressure, sniping with journalists, or pretty okay? No, not not, not really. He was in pretty good form the other day, considering um, the defeat. What was telling was how he said um, that the focus had been too much on the future and not enough on Argentina. And, and I'm afraid that's, that's uh, you know, you admire the honesty, but that is red rag to a bull to everyone who worries that England are way too fixated on this Rugby World Cup, way too fixated on a tournament that five or six teams can win, a tournament that requires a huge amount of luck to win, a tournament that is ridden with variables, injuries, refereeing, weather, red cards. So that him admitting that, I think, made everyone go, look, we knew that was the case, but to actually say it out loud, wow. So I then asked him when he said that, are you then reappraising? Are you going to focus more on the here and now? He said, no, 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 we're still trying to, you know, focus and peak mm. in 2023. So he's not budging from his, uh, his his mission. And it is a mission. It's not a plan or a goal. It's an absolute mission slash obsession. And he's absolutely determined to get there. It just seems a very dangerous ploy to almost say, look, we're going to drop matches. No, not that. They're obviously not trying to lose, but they're not, you know, trying to peak every single game they're trying to peak sometime in the future and it's a it's a dangerous game and England fans will desperately hope that he can manage it mm. It is so interesting Fiona as we kind of segue into Ireland South Africa that you get the impression of course Andy Farrell and the management team are very aware of the World Cup but there's such a focus on the here and now yeah, and that's the way it should be. I mean, um, Chris is talking there about, you know, Eddie or Eddie talking about the future. But if you start losing fans, he's really underestimating when it comes to World Cup time how much the fans can get you through these big games. And if, if you're losing to the likes of New Zealand, South Africa, Argentina, and then speaking about, look, there's something coming down the future, you're probably going to lose a couple of people, you know. And 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 myself and Chris were talking before this how, and about the atmosphere in, in Twickenham. And it, it wasn't as electric, you know, he, he spoke about the 
All-Ireland game when they went a man down they brought England back to life they, they pushed their team on but Eddie doesn't seem to to value that or value what the fans can bring he, he, obviously he's got his own plans and he, he doesn't need to listen to the fans but I think you've got to also play a style of rugby that people are going to follow and going to want to really shout for you when it comes to World Cup time which is mainly his focus it would seem going forward but 100% I think Andy Farrell is is spot on he's been saying it from the start it's obviously um in the Irish ethos that we don't think about the future because we've had a, we've been stung a few times when it comes to World Cup time um, and we've been number one and thinking about there so look we've learned from that uh, as a nation and I think he's focusing on the here and now every interview here from a player Joe they're, they're talking about the next game what's happening now they don't even want to think about a year down the road mm. people are asking about Johnny Sexton they don't want to think about that so I think that's the correct way to be you need to focus and respect every team you're playing and then as the games go and you gather up the wind or the wins that's when confidence will come with you as well which we we are seeing it happen to the Irish team We're talking on a Wednesday evening obviously at this stage Fiona across off the ball we've had a whole host of people give their opinion Alan Quinlan and Keith Wood on the AM show we've had Rory O'Connor and Andy Dunn and Jerry Thornley and Brian O'Driscoll was in studio last night I don't get the sense anybody is getting too ahead of themselves or saying Ireland are now definitely going to beat South Africa in the World Cup there's a sense of a kick of the ball in it if Pollard had been playing for South Africa it could have been very different but I suppose people generally at the same time pleased that Ireland didn't succumb again to a big parasite and that's it and that's what I said last week on the show Joe that I wanted to focus Ireland wanted to fo- have a look at the mall area have a look at their scrum and I think they done really well in that area they're obviously still building their attack they will have to change things uh, up when it comes into you know a World Cup game um, I think everyone is really settled they're just happy what they're seeing in front of them um, Ireland at times could have gone for the post but we went to challenge the South African uh, pack by kicking it down the line and you know they had they had some very very good wealth Malls, and you can see Paul O'Connell has really got into that pack and you can see how aggressive they are the want is there and I think that's what's making people really excited we know we know that there could be a few injuries as well but another aspect of that is you have the likes that came off the bench Bealham in particular mm. and we're able to sustain the scrum so we now know that these guys are all in camp together and that the depth is there and that if we keep building that and the Fiji game in particular we'll see a lot of guys get good game time that probably won't maybe that wouldn't have got it into South Africa and maybe not in the Australian game but the more we see these guys being on the pitch and being able to sustain that I think that's what's getting people excited uh, Chris like I say I don't think we're getting carried away with ourselves at all been burned too many times Uh, that said it might be good to get a non-green-eyed view of Ireland from afar (laughs) where where are we? (laughs) Uh, We're in a really good place um, and I think it's encouraging to to beat the box in, in, in a bit of an arm wrestle while also showing glimpses of, of the rugby that Ireland are capable of. The speed of their ball is just on a different planet when it's when it's um, going well and those dynamic forwards are carrying with momentum. England would give their right arm to, to be playing with that kind of speed of ball. And look, the whole World Cup thing is fascinating from an Ireland point of view. I, I really don't subscribe to the theory that World Cups are everything. Of course, they're incredibly important. They're the showpiece and it's where legends are made. But you can't tell me that three slash four years of international rugby are just redundant and irrelevant. And even if Ireland do lose to New Zealand or France in the quarterfinal, because that's what's coming. And look, Ireland, Ireland might, might have to play France in, in France in a World Cup quarter. They lose that game by a point. Has it been a disastrous four years? No, of course it hasn't. They've won triple crowns and they've won Six Nations titles and they've won um, uh, they've won in New Zealand in, in a test series. So 
you know, I, I just, I just hope that Ireland fans can enjoy what's happening now and not kind of view it all through the prism of, oh, it's all going to go wrong next year. Mm. I do definitely sense that that as a nation, there's less of a kind of triumphalism than there was this time in 2018 when there really was a lot of people praising Ireland. Johnny Sexton was World Player of the Year. Ireland with the, the team of the year. It's likely that they won't win team of the year this year at the World Rugby Awards. That could be the Red Roses or the Black Ferns or the French men's national side. So maybe that will help keep expectations in check. But no, I think Ireland should still be very proud of the rugby they're playing and the consistency they've strung together, even if it doesn't lead to a World Cup victory next year. You've got to say that the last few years have still been great from an Irish rugby point of view. I'm, I'm so glad you made that point. I totally agree with you. Like obviously in this chair and this job, Invariably, we analyse games and we talk about the World Cup, but uh, the notion that we just ignore increasingly, it, it seems to be the case in rugby, the four years in between each World Cup. But how, how can the sport survive, Joe? It's crazy. How can, an, how can uh, in, in an era like we're in and with the financial crisis, how can a sport, and we hear head coaches talk about 2023 incessantly, which could be a way of them just protecting their future. I heard an international coach, they talk about 2027. When does it stop? 2031, 2035, we've mm. got a crop that can win in 2043. You know, I, 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 I don't understand how a sport can actively try and downplay big data to be week to week test matches, downplay the impact of a Grand Slam, downplay the impact of winning overseas in the Southern Hemisphere, downplay stringing together an un unbeaten autumn. The sport can't survive if four no. years become irrelevant because of one knockout tournament. I totally, and it's funny, I, th I think it was in the Six Nations just gone, Eddie Jones. He'd either named a, a weakened team or he had made a lot of changes, and he was really talking down a Six Nations game. And I thought, if we're, look, if we're if we're casting aside Six Nations games here, then we're just stamping all over the sport. That is dangerous territory. Well, what, what he did, he did once, Joe. He he, I think this was Six Nations, either Six Nations just gone or maybe the one before, when he named his squad, his opening address. He said, "This is our sixth last camp until the World Cup," and I was like. Yeah. No, no, no. This is the Six Nations, <laughs> and I get it. It's your. I get it. It's it's Eddie Jones's remit, and the RFU, for right or wrong, have a business model that is win the World Cup, and that will invigorate the grassroots, and everything will come from that. I think it's an incredibly risky strategy. I'd rather look at day to day trying to invigorate the game, and then what will be will be at the World Cup. By the by, that's the RFU's plan. That's Eddie Jones's plan. But to say this Six Nations is the fifth last or whatever camp before a World Cup. You know, that blew my mind. I think it blew a lot of the mind of a lot of people in that room because surely the Six Nations are Six Nations and winning that is massive. Mm. And, and that applies, Fiona, to beating the world champions in Dublin. Enjoy it for what it is. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, you know, well, Joe, I was over New Zealand and I enjoyed that over there as well for the mm. three games. I think you have to, I think you have to live in the moment. I think you have to, we love rugby over here. You know, rugby supporters in this country absolutely adore the national teams. We'll all argue over our provinces, but when it comes to Ireland, the tickets sell out fast. People get up to the Viva, they get to these games and they want to watch it. So, Look, we have to enjoy it. And when there's grand slams and triple crown won, we all celebrate it here. And I think that's the way it should be because you've got to respect the game that's in front of you. And yes, it's, it'll be massive to win the World Cup. And that is a focus. 
but you can't. I think Eddie's taking a bit of the pressure off himself when it comes to day-to-day games by looking at that kind of forward pitcher. I think he, you've got to live in that moment, play the game, get the fans to enjoy the rugby and what will be, will be. Mm. Well, listen, it's it's a politician, isn't it? We, we can't comment on this until the report is due in September 2023. That's kind of, <laughs> you know, kicking to touch. Uh, mixing up my metaphors. I didn't, Chris, I didn't realise you were Welsh. I, 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 excuse me, this is uh, sacri- sacrilegious. I thought Half you were Welsh. English. Half, Half Welsh. Welsh, okay. No, so, yeah, no, when I'm accused of, you know, when, when I'm, you know, say on my podcast, we talk a lot about England, that's when I say I'm Welsh, you know, but, like my, but my, my dad's Welsh and I, I drove him to Cardiff and back on the weekend and he was, you know, glum at another rolling the red carpet out for the All Blacks kind of exercise. But yeah, no, um, okay. the, the Welsh blood flows through me. Well, can I give you a terribly uninformed view in Wales then and you can give us a better sense of what's happening? So the region's uh, not in a great place financially and otherwise and somehow that red shirt and particularly Gatland managed to make them more than the sum of their parts and they've, they worked on the fumes of that and had that, that grand slam out of nowhere but now some serious problems are coming home to roost 55 points at home to the All Blacks Yeah, and I think Da Young the Cardiff boss said the other day when the Wales team starts losing that's when people might start taking notice Wales are always going to be competitive because you just need 15 good players on a pitch. You've got an amazing stadium and you have pride in the badge that not every country has. You know, maybe, and I'm not saying that people play for a country they don't have pride in their badge, but there's something about you know, the green South African shirt or the New Zealand shirt, the national sports shirt. And I know, you know, the World Cup football's coming up and Wales are in it. And that's also challenging rugby sort of um, influence in, in, in the country. But yeah, I think there are problems in the Welsh game from from top to bottom. And the Welsh Rugby Union for ages have have gone with a top-down approach, sell out Principality Stadium, win games, win Six Nations titles, and everything else will look after itself. But if that doesn't come, then the cracks are going to be open all over the game in Wales, whether it's grassroots or the pro teams. And to say that Gatlin made it a fifth region, didn't he, the Welsh team? Mm. What was happening at regional level or pro club level didn't matter. He got people into camp and he got all of the sort of bad habits out of them. That's how he kind of appeared to operate. But you can't tell me that players losing week in, week out, not knowing how to win away from home, not competing for titles week, week to week. Is that conducive to a successful national side? Not at all. And I spoke to Dan Bigger the other day um, who was leaving Northampton. He was talking about Toulon. He had a look at Japan. And the fact that he wasn't even tempted to go home or there wasn't an offer to bring him home and the thought of going and playing in a Welsh region just wasn't enticing at all. And I don't blame Dan Bigger for it. That should send big alarm bells around the WRU as well. Okay. And just outclassed by New Zealand? Yeah, first and, and last way. Clinical, Joe. The difference between decision-making in the 22, finishing opportunities. There wasn't much in the game, in the middle middle 220s especially, but for it to be eight tries to two that just tells its story. Every time Wales did score, they gave penalties away right from the kickoff, dropped the ball, let the All Blacks in, and they would come away from the All Blacks territory with nothing, and the All Blacks would come away with seven every single time they entered. Um, it was a real masterclass in the last 20, and to see the likes of Ardy Severe, Aaron Smith, I mean, Jordy Barrett had a run of the play, so did Aaron Smith. Ardy Severe, maybe overexcited after the game. I, I said on Instagram, I think he's one of the greatest back row forwards to ever play the game and, and might be anointed as such in the next few years. So it was good to see the All Blacks back if we want a really competitive international scene with yeah. the All Blacks yeah. um, at the top of it. But yeah, I, I think um, the, the first and last 20 Wales were humbled. No, uh, sorry to push you on the spot, Fiona. Did you get a chance? Yeah, yeah, I watched it. I, I think, you, didn't um, leave your, you didn't leave your house this weekend, did you? 
I didn't. I go. I, I stay up all night. I record and I stay up all night watching them. Look, um, I think you know you spoke of a lot of stuff there. And you talk about Gatlin, but I mean you can't underestimate what Sean Edwards brought to that. Yeah. Um, yeah. To that Welsh team and to to to, to spring fifty five points against the All Blacks. I, I I think if he was still there, we've seen what he's what he's done with France in particular. You know he's he's so aggressive. He's line speed everything. He's he's done he's done wonders for Wales, especially defensively, and he was a huge loss to them. I thought the All Blacks were not a totally different team to what we saw against Ireland but I thought they were far more clinical I thought their skill set their offloads were coming off for them whether that has got to do with how Wales defended them or the pressure they weren't put under that, that's another question but it, they just looked much better they looked far more cohesive and I talked about their discipline as well with those Irish tests they seemed to pick up on the referee and really work him during the game as well I just thought they are back, definitely back on the scene. And I think the England game will definitely, um, we'll see exactly where they are, you mm, know, going mm, forward. Yeah, Big game, yeah. Very interesting. And then France-Australia, amazing tries in this game, Fiona. I mean, even uh, glance at the highlights on YouTube, if anyone wants, and you'll see some brilliant running rugby. France got the job done. That's not a bad result for Australia. What did you make of these two? Yeah, I thought they were. It was, you know, it was a, it was a great game to watch as well. I thought it was exciting rugby. Australia, I actually thought coming into the game might have suffered a, a not a heavy loss. I've watched them in the championship. They've been very hit and miss. You know, you you'd see them have an outstanding win against uh, a team, and then the next week they wouldn't perform at all. But I thought they looked far more cohesive. Um, they attacked France well. Um, I thought they had a couple of lucky breaks with the bounce of the ball as well. But they they definitely were a team that um have improved since they played that championship against New Zealand and Argentina um, France we didn't see them over the summer so I was curious to see how they are I, I still don't think they're they're playing all their cards um, they might have been disappointed with how they defended the game or, or definitely it's set piece at line out time I thought that maybe they weren't quite up to their best there but definitely they're they're building and, and they scored some fantastic tries as well I mean their back three are absolutely electric to watch yeah um, it was funny even on the, the TV with Andrew Trimble, Matt Williams and Rob Carney all saying for them France best team in the world I know it, me, you and Keith had talked about it and, and you went to Ireland and he went for a game today his life depended on it South Africa so he'd be in trouble actually based on our conversation uh, last week uh, mm-hmm. He, but they all went France in the in the studio Fiona yeah, look, I mean, they're just going off. You've seen them silently building over the last couple of years. I mean, that Six Nations performance they put in just gone was absolutely outstanding. We didn't see them over the summer, but we've watched the, the top 14. You you can see what they're like um, in attack. You know, they offer you, like, they footwork, they've everything. But I, I, I think the thing that impressed a lot of people was the French discipline and the French line speed and how they changed that up because we all know France would travel away from home in the past and, and you know, like... Like, um, would give away stupid penalties, or they might lose interest if, if they were if they were heavily defeated or down down points. So we, that mindset seems to have to have changed in this French team, and they are confident. Obviously, a home World Cup, so that would have a, another influence on how they play as well. They are really, really good, and we all know. Well, I, I know playing in France, even if it was a smaller women's crowd, that crowd can be so so intimidating, and and they have that back and behind them. I think if they can keep. Into Mac and Dupont, um, obviously injury free. They they're the guys pulling the strings for the, for this French team. If if they're not involved, I think you're looking at it at a different French side as well. Okay, uh, Chris, to undercut our conversation about being World Cup obsessed, is uh, there's been, been this sense of destiny about France ever since Galtier came in and and just gave these 
young players their birth and it's like been a countdown ever since to next year. Yeah, and I, didn't the French national football team do it ahead of 98, I think, as well? They, they yeah. kind of made it a national effort from sort of uh, mid-90s, right, three years' time, we're going to win in the home stadium, a home World Cup. And it feels as if they'd done that. And it was really telling. Um, I was in Oita, I think it was, for the World Cup quarterfinal, France against Wales. And just speaking to some former French players and speaking to French journalists, they were a bit like, look, this World Cup is it's a free hit but we're not going to win it. It's all about 2023 and mm. they've made it um, an ambition of theirs, a national effort to win that, that tournament. And they're, they're, they're on the right path, but I think bringing in someone like Edwards and we speak about the World Cup obsession that some coaches have. We had Edwards um, on, the, on, on, on our part of a year or two ago and he said he just doesn't go for any of that. Right. He says, yeah, maybe plan your training camps, maybe make sure your, your logistics are right. But he said, I don't, I don't go for any of that kind of four-year cycle stuff just win what you can in front of you. And any French fan that was in the Stade de France in March, they weren't going, oh, this Grand Slam's great, but what about the World Cup? They were mm. going, this Grand Slam is great. And the fact they won that England game, when I think they were super nervous for that England game. And I think if they weren't nervous, they could have put England to the sword. I think they could have battered England, but they didn't because they made mistakes. They dropped balls and they just were good enough to get through. And I wonder if that shows them, right, we've won a pressure game. We can go and do it again and again and again. They'll lose before the World Cup or they'll lose at some point. They they just got to make sure that when they do, it's not the one that really matters in terms of their home World Cup. But yeah, certainly there, there is a destiny feel about it. If they can handle the pressure, yeah. I don't think there's another team that will beat them in, in France, in Paris. But that pressure is going to be huge on them. Yeah, God, so interesting. Who do you support when England play Wales? <laughs> I'm a uh, BBC journalist, Joe, so uh, completely impartial. So Ireland, Ireland, he supports Ireland. <laughs> Labour or the Conservatives? Yeah. Let's get to some answers here, Chris, come on. <laughs> I wouldn't be able to comment, I'm afraid. <laughs> uh, thank you so much for joining us. Much appreciated. Thanks for filling us in on the Eddie Jones uh, stuff as well. Very Good interesting. And Fiona, as ever, thank you. Thanks, Joe. Cheers, guys. Our rugby and off the ball. With thanks to Vodafone, main sponsor of the Irish rugby team, we all belong to the team of us. Wednesday Night Rugby on Off The Ball with Vodafone, main sponsor of the Irish rugby team. We all belong to the team of us.